The Imprint Companion Podcast is, of course, brought to you by Imprint Films. Imprint Films is a brand new Australian boutique Blu-ray label. Check them out for limited edition deluxe Blu-ray releases of long-requested and previously unreleased films. Check out the past and future releases online at imprintfilms.com.au. You can follow Imprint Films on Twitter at imprint underscore films, or one word, on Instagram at Imprint Films, no space, and finally on the Facebook page at Imprint Films AU. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Imprint Companion, the only podcast on the Australian internet about DVD culture. I'm your co-host. It's a whole separate internet, Blakey. It is a subreddit of internets. <laughs> I'm your co-host, Blake Howard. And joining me as always is a lord of Australian movie podcasts. <laughs> he found Drago. He lured Ling. He's Netflix film buffet and total reboots king. It's Alexi Toliopoulos. Oh my God, Blake Howard from the Zodiac Chronicle. It is my honor, my privilege, my pain to be here with you today to be discussing the most glorious format of films to exist in boutique blu-ray we unbox unpack and unveil upcoming releases from australia's brand new boutique blu-ray label imprint films and this is the first of two episodes on the december 2020 drop we're a little bit overdue but we're going to be talking about imprints 23 24 and 25 kenneth branner's high concept thriller and 90s greatest hits movie dead again the movie that literally bankrupted united artists Michael Cimino's The Year of the Dragon. Oh, and a my word. And a movie that had my co-host texting me about Big Animal Kingdom, the movie, you absolute cretins, vibes, <laughs> James Follies, at close range. Alexi, mate, this is some of my favorite podcasting is to sit with you, my friend, and discuss our beautiful physical media together. Absolutely. There's two bonuses for me about doing this show. Bonus number one is to get the freaking DVDs, oh. which is a dream. Bonus number two, to talk to my dear friend, Blake, about freaking movies, about freaking DVDs. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. All right. Let's kick off, my friend, because we are, we are a little bit overdue on this one. Mm-hmm. So I was so excited to talk. But uh, let's start with our first uh, number imprint, number 23. That again. Forever. Of course, forever. All right. You still killed her, didn't you? Crime from the past has obsessed her. That was Roman Strauss. That was his wife, Margaret. He stabbed her in the throat with a lovely pair of barber scissors. For whatever reason. When a mute woman suffering from amnesia, Emma Thompson, arrives at the gates of an old orphanage, private investigator Mike Church, Kenneth Branagh, is asked to find out who she is. With the help of a hypnotist, Derek Jacoby, the woman regains her voice and recalls vivid past memories of a couple from the 1940s torn apart by murder. Church begins to develop feelings for the woman who he calls Grace and then discovers he has a connection to the tragic couple from the 40s. Alexi. I had heard of this movie before. I had not seen it. And uh, I was very curious about it. This was one of the first ones I chucked on from this batch. Yeah. And I'll tell you, I think it is a freaking weird one. I'm (laughs) kind of very into it at a bit of an arm's length. Yes. uh, Because on paper... And almost in the execution, it's like a weird thriller. And it feels like it's obviously a throwback to like the noir era. But now you're watching it and like this movie doesn't even exist now. Like this is such a 90s kind of thriller as well. 
Uh, so it's like this double throwback watching it now. And I would say that this is very much like in the vein of a Brian De Palma film. Yeah. Like if this was directed by Brian De Palma, this might be one of the most exciting films ever made. And oh I cannot think of a director to me that on paper is less like Brian De Palma than <laughs> Kenneth Branagh. <laughs> Look, I was just going to say the same thing. This script is written by Scott Frank, you know, Queen's Gambit. Mm-hmm. Um, he like just Google Scott Frank. You would see a thousand scripts written by him. Logan, there are so many more. And he's like yeah. basically one of the most popular shows of the year. And I was feeling exactly the same. Like when you say De Palma, I'm like, Oh my God, could you imagine? You just like yes. the choices, the different characters, the more, um, the sleazier the detective, mm. the better. Um, and I think that Branner is too, like, he's too sunny. It is, yes. but, it, but it is deeply weird. It is great to have the weirdness. I like, I, I like a high concept thriller, especially across yes. time. And it feels like we're going to get that sprinkled through a bunch of the imprint drops that we're going to see in the next little bit. But um, I, I, I completely agree. I just, I kept feeling like, there's this one scene in particular where Kenneth Brown is like contemporary self as Mike church um, chases off uh, this like bad actor, like this false person, a red herring in the movie and watching Ken Branner run down a street, like a detective who would ever have been in a punch up as opposed to a guy who was, exclusively in central perk mm-hmm. um, in the 90s I'm just like, <laughs> there's just no way that i can believe this like and and yeah. only people who work with brian de palma you know when i think of the different faces and characters that kind of are drawn to him i'm like i i want to see a guy who's really sleazy and dirty yes and that and i just the movie doesn't have that you know I, I when i did my introduction i was like it's kind of like a 90s greatest hits movie because it does it's got like newman in it playing basically Newman. The sickest cast. It's got (laughs) such a sick cast. Emma Thompson, who is so wild and so fascinating and so great in this movie. Derek Jacobi is great in it. Miriam Margolis. Andy Garcia is so cool. I adore Andy Garcia. And he does maybe the most disgusting thing I've ever seen in the film in this. What is that? Do you know, remember what I'm talking about? (laughs) Yeah, you please... He like so he, this movie takes place in two time periods. There's like a 1940s story, and then these people are perhaps reincarnated as Kenneth Branagh and Emma Thompson in the modern day. And uh, Andy Garcia is in the 1940s one, and he plays an old man in the present day. And this got crazy old man makeup. I kind of love to see that shit. It's good. I absolutely love to see adore it. it. Love to see it. And um, he has a. Uh, probably had emphysema or something and he has like a little um what do you call a stoma he's got stoma in his throat and um kenneth brander's character's been talking about quitting smoking this whole movie it's quite funny and then he takes one of kenneth brander's cigarettes and smokes it through the stoma and it's very funny because kenneth brander's is like yeah i've quit smoking now to seeing that happen <laughs> and i gotta say kenneth branner it's a really weird performance from him Super um weird. so like out of like if it wasn't him directing it you'd be like this is very out of left field casting to have kenneth branner mm. play this kind of like goofy private eye um but i actually really enjoyed his performance i think it's uh it's just weird enough to be continuously 
delightfully interesting throughout the whole thing. Yeah. And he's just, just, it's kind of inconsistent in a really interesting way, I would say, that just works for me in that I loved watching him the entire film. Well, when he's in the past, his, his past version, who's playing this sort of traditional composer who's being lured by mm-hmm. Hollywood to start writing movie scores because that's the kind of, you know, the dramatic conceit of that original couple. I think he's wonderful. And I think yeah. what I think Emma Thompson does bridges the past and present so much better than him. Yes. He's just like playing on a different level. Like he's like, mm. he definitely is saying through this 90s prism, how can I take like a noir detective? And whereas yes. I think you and I, who are fans of people like the Palmer, you're like, no, but what if you were exactly the slit? Like just swap. Yes. Could we have stretched Andy Garcia to play a Hollywood composer and had Garcia play the past and present person and have Branna be the Branna be the sleazy reporter uh, who smokes yes. through a stoma, you know? And that, and that's the frustrating oh. thing in a movie. I sit there sometimes Alexi and I go like, this is, they had the right cast. Did they have them mm. all playing the right parts? Maybe yeah. not. And so it, was, it felt like a bit of a weird one. And one that is definitely interesting to revisit. I think we have a lot of these on this show, like where it's like, yeah. hey, this is totally worth my time. Like I didn't hate it at all. Um, mm. I, I, I was into it, but I, I was just the whole time I was like, man, this is such a 90s greatest hits, greatest hits movie for me yeah. rather than like sleazy noir. Yeah, and there's one actor we haven't even mentioned who's in this movie. Freaking Robin Williams in one of his rare dramatic turns. He's great in it. He great he, monologues. Great monologues, and he is great in it. And I feel like this is like uh, there's a Robin Williams that you get so rarely mm. when, it, especially at this time, where they're like, we just want to play him for funny, and this movie goes like full tilt we're just gonna play him for weird yes. and maybe a little bit malicious maybe he's done some dark stuff and he's great like he he is totally magnetic you know i i think the 40 scenes with garcia the robin williams stuff in this like it, it is it is totally you know it's totally worth you know if we talk about like is the batch will ultimately decide whether this batch is batch worthy mm. or whether it's single purchases but like you know when you're looking at like one of the second tier titles in a batch. This is like totally like, this is what makes a batch worthy movie. When you haven't got that Robin Williams, you haven't got that Robin Williams, you know, collection completed. And you're like, yeah, I need this one. This is one that's really good. Absolutely. I think it's, it's you, you will not be bored watching this movie. It's such a fun weirdo romp. And if your tastes align with Blake and I, you will be watching it going like, oh God, if this was something else, if this was that in a very enjoyable way, where it's like, sometimes you're like, oh, they fucked it. It's so wrong. Why did they do this? It's so obvious. This is just like such an exercise in like weirdo kind of like failed kind of interesting throwback movies that just don't exist anymore. Yes. hundred percent. Now, and the special features are on here. There's one, there's some commentaries. There's a commentary by Kenneth Brenner that I'm absolutely going to dive into when I rewatch this. Yeah. But uh, in this whole batch, there's like been more, more special features that are in this batch, I would say across the board. And there's a, like with an emphasis on like visual essays. Yes. Yeah. hundred percent. And I was just going to say there is a great, it's also awesome to sort of with some of these commentaries, they are a little bit older, but it's like hearing Scott Frank, who is not Scott Frank, like not the Mm. Scott Frank that is like 
yeah famous talking about this movie that is a few years old and you know what what his aspirations for it were and what his inspirations for that's my highlight on the on on the special features they've got a couple of commentaries there's a little visual essay um from ian mantgani on here as well um but yeah there's uh that scott frank one's got my pick yeah my friend, are we slipping? What's our preference? We've got the special edition slip cases. Are you slipping or are you not slipping on the shelf? I like both because I'm keeping it always slipped on the shelf, but I like that original poster art that's on the slip cover. And then underneath, I think that the way that they've constructed the image for the new release. I like, I like the new release cover on this one. I like that it's like this kind of segmented thing. You've got both timelines represented there. And I got to say, I absolutely adore this like kind of 1970s paperback font that they've got. Yes. Really like it. Yeah. No, I was just going to say that's, this is like one of my rare ones in this batch where I'm like, no slip, no slip. Mm. If I was going to put it on the show. But that poster is so funny. The original poster, how it's like their two faces merged together in a very odd way. It's so funny. I've always loved this poster because it's just a weird choice that their noses align, their eyes align, because it just doesn't make sense. And it's, I think it's so it's, funny. It's, it's very how to lose a guy in 10 days when Andy mm. merges her face with, uh, with Matthew yeah, McConaughey's Absolutely. Face. It's very, it's quite creepy. Absolutely. Shall we move on to our next flick? Let's do it. This is Michael Cimino's Year of the Dragon. Captain Stanley White, commander of the 5th Precinct and the most decorated cop in New York City, has declared war on Chinatown. This is spy number 24. In New York, racist Captain Stanley White, played by Mickey Rourke, becomes obsessed with destroying a Chinese-American drug ring run by Joey Tai, John Lone, an up-and-coming young gangster as ambitious as he is ruthless. While pursuing an unauthorized investigation, White grows increasingly willing to violate police protocol, resorting to progressively violent measures, even as his concerned wife, Connie, played by Caroline Carver, and his superiors begin to beg him to consider the consequences of his actions. Blake, this feels like such a you movie. I'm keen to hear your thoughts on this. Look, I said in the top that this movie bankrupted a studio and I wasn't lying. Like it legitimately Mm. did. And man, is this, does this have all the ingredients for a movie that you and I just froth completely? Let me read some of them for you. Written Mm -hmm. by Oliver Stone and Michael Cimino. Produced by- in Dino. the era <laughs> of freaking Scarface Oliver yeah. Stone screenwriter. Scarface Oliver Stone, produced by Dino De Laurentiis, baby. Oh. Love a Dino. And oh Ch- my lord. Camino, the director of The Deer Hunter, Oscar winning best picture. And mm-hmm. it, like this movie has so much to love, Alexi. And one of the things that I think gets devalued when we have to talk about like when we look at things through 2020 eyes or 2021 eyes back at movies that were made at this time. This is such a forthright movie about how deeply corrupt police institutions are in the United States, about how deeply racist uh, those institutions are because of the individuals who occupy them. And Mm -hmm. just about the different sentiments of like racism in America and how it's just on the front foot. So right from the get go, the year of the dragon is like insanely engaging. It is really riveting mickey rock is crazy good i think it's weird right from the outset because he's cast to play older he's just got this weird mm. gray hair so it kind of like yeah. is a bit disconcerting but it's this massive sprawling epic that really 
it kind of like where I would say like it aspires to execute what later movies do like, and it's such a, so ahead of its time is it tries mm. to say in localized little areas, when you have international, when you have drugs, usually there's an international footprint. And so what does that mean? It means we've got international territories and international relationships and usually corrupt armed forces. And it's like doing stuff that later on, like Michael Mann's Miami Vice or really Scott's American yeah. Gangster, they etch into like our memory and people are like, oh, isn't that rad? How like Denzel and his mates like go and get like drugs from Vietnam and bring them, smuggle them back into the mm. States for the CIA. And it's like, Chimino is kind of doing that with Oliver Stone in this narrative way that's super interesting and of the time, I think where it starts to be trouble, this movie and where it starts to kind of like get ahead of itself is in some ways it's so radically ahead of its time. And in other ways, it's like, we really are anchored to this idea of like Stanley white, Captain white mm. as this, like this sheriff of Chinatown. And I think, oh, it, yes. and I think even to say Chinatown in movie law terms, as you and I, like the, maybe the greatest script mm. ever written with, uh, yeah. uh, you know, it feels like it's making it too simplistic. It's like making this beautiful bramble and mess and this huge scope internationally. And then it's like just Mickey Rourke, like busting down doors and like trying to fight a yeah. hundred guys. And, and I just feel like that doesn't gel. And it's probably the weakest link of like him just being mm. a complete blowhard, this complete like outmoded thing in the middle of this huge elaborate film that kind of doesn't work, but I had never seen it coming into yes. this. And I was kind of blown away. Like, cause they literally don't make movies like this anymore. Mm. And they can't because it made people so bankrupt. <laughs> yeah. The studios so much money. It is. I know that that were my feelings. What about you, my friend? I'm kind of right there with you because, like, you know, uh, you're if you're a cinephile, there is a ch- definitely a chance you're familiar with Michael Cimino um, with, of course, the other disaster that bankrupted studio, Heaven's Gate Heaven's and Gate. D Hunter. Yeah. And I think, like, one thing that really struck me about watching this, because I also just did a rewatch of Scarface for Total Reboot, yes. uh, including the original. And gangster genre is maybe my thing that I love most in this world, like yes. full stop. It's the genre that got made me a cinephile. It's a genre that made me fall in love with film and filmmaking and all the different textures that are in there. Uh, what I get excited about when I'm thinking about that genre and this film kind of like nails a few things and it's Oliver Stone once again doing something he did with Scarface which is kind of that rip from the headlines feeling that is so tied into the early days of the gangster pictures in 1930s and also that idea of um like them being migrant stories and mm, mm. films set in the diaspora. Whereas like Scarface is like that migrant rags to riches story that is so prominent in like those early gangster films. This also takes that idea of there being a diaspora community uh, and being set in like this ethnic community in America. Um, and I think that what I have to really agree with you on is that in gangster films, I'm, always prefer it when they're within the community rather than the perspective of the cop, like leading the investigation and trying to bust down the mob. I don't find those to be as fascinating. I think having this film 
from this director who's already been accused of racism at this time for the way that he made the D Hunter, inventing lots of stuff about the like the Vietnam, uh, the Viet Cong. And I think that in this film, it just does feel that fucking weird reductive uh, racistness about it that I could not jibe with. But what I could jibe with was like the visual aesthetic of the film. I like the score and the soundtrack of it. And uh, I think there's like a, just a great, there's a great vibe to this. Uh, if you are inclined like Blake and I to the gangster picture, there is something about this that is totally worthy of catching up with. You know, it's so funny that you say that. It's like, you often wonder when there's a co-writer thing, you know, mm. who, who, who has, who, who, where's the story coming from? Is it, is it like total, totally in sync? And I feel like John Lone's character, Joey Ty, who is the, who is the kind of rags to riches story, if you mm. like, um, that's at the center of this movie that feels so Oliver Stone as like the elements of the story that feel very Oliver Stone are all of that from within Joey uh, Ty's perspective stuff. And it feels mm. like the Chimino stuff is really that, that sheriff, that outmoded yeah. thing that like, and it feels like that is, that is the perfect incongruity is watching these two who are, who are very distinctive cinematic voices, like have to collaborate mm. on this script. Cause like it sort of yes. on one hand feels so like Scarfacey, except different. Mm. And on, yeah. and, and on the other hand, it feels, you know, just really outmoded and bad and like archetypal in some ways. And so, mm. yeah, I know it's, it's a really strange one, but it's, you know, uh, uh, just really quickly in wrapping up our convo, like I, I think this might be one of the best of our special features list year of the dragon for Absolutely. just, for just one thing. And we both, I know we watched this, which is introducing Ariane, which is the video essay about the model and actress Ariane uh, Koizumi. Um, and it was done in 2020. It's like a little video essay about her in this mm. movie. She plays Tracy Zhu. And it's like one of her rare film performances. And for me, just watching this and watching how many great people are in this movie and how, I don't know, sometimes reductive it is in some, yeah. you know, in some ways it's like this massive scope and sometimes it's completely stupid. Um, but it's, it's still a really fascinating, uh, fascinating mm. movie. I would have to agree with you. I love that special feature. It's interesting to like have, I, I love character and actor specific video essays. Like that's my yes. whole shit. I love going in on movie stars or actors and how they work, how to work culturally. And you, I think that's you a really- yeah. a filmmaker, five masterpieces. Exactly. The films of John Cazale. Yeah, you know, I've made a John Cazale documentary when I was 13 years old. So that's my, that's probably why it's so close to me, this idea. Um, who, of course, is in The Deer Hunt. It's one of the films I covered in Five Films, Five Masterpieces. So I'm a Shimino expert as well. Um, but um, I, I thought this was a great special feature because I really was intrigued by this actor and this performance. And going back and reading some like contemporary reviews and seeing that she was like, panned by like people like janet maslin saying that there's this sex scene in the movie where you can see the brooklyn bridge in the background and it outshone her in the scene oh. and i'm like i had to disagree i found her so magnetic and i think it was she was let down by the script if anything by an underwritten character yeah an underwritten character and bad direction with a new actor you can mm -hmm. be let down now one thing this isn't on our this isn't wasn't on our discussion points, but I've just quickly thought about it. If I yep. was to rank, if we were to make a letterbox list of the most unrealistic yep. apartments for oh. love interest in a movie, the top two on my list so far would be 
Amy Brenneman's graphic designer who has the best view of LA in the history of apartments in heat. And the second yeah. is Ariane's character, Tracy in this movie, Year of the Dragon, an apartment that has maybe Absolutely. the best view of New York City I've ever seen. And it's mainly just a big bathtub is the centerpiece. <laughs> like this in-ground conversation pit style bathtub. It's kind of amazing. Oh my God. Oh my God. When are in-ground conversation bathtubs coming back, Alexi? When are they coming we gotta back? back? We got to bring them back. We got to bring them back. All right. Just, I, um, just I would actually even slip. say, uh, to, I would not slip. I not think slip. that the, the original poster on the front is kind of boring, but then this new imprint art on the inside, on the plastic, on yeah. the it is gorgeous. I think it's right. the colors are so evocative of the movie, and I love the font that choices they've got in. I not slip, not slip it, no slip it. All right. Well, from a from a movie that bankrupted an entire studio to holy shit, a complete gem of a crime movie and a huge discovery mm. for me in this batch. Maybe the pick of the uh, films we're talking about in this episode Ooh. is At Close Range. Yesterday, he was a nobody. Today, he is front page news. Your name? Brad, little Brad, Brad Jenner. And is there a big Brad? Who is he? Now, this is based on a true story. It follows the lives mm -hmm. of the Whitehood family in rural Pennsylvania. Brothers Brad Jr., played by Sean Penn and Tommy. Chris Penn, actual brothers in real life, are the sons. Oh. And I love when that happens in a movie. I love when it happens. Are the sons of organized crime leader Brad Sr., Christopher Walken. The Chimino connection is strong. And he, <laughs> he draws his sons into a life of crime. After starting their own gang, Brad Jr. and Tommy are arrested in a failed robbery attempt and are forced to face the truth that their father will do anything to avoid being arrested for his crimes and to be dragged into their mess. Alexi, had you seen At Close Range before? I think I'd seen the cover for it back in my video store days. Yes. Because that cover, that font with like the um, kind of like crosshairs, crosshairs. in the O. Yeah, I remember that. And I kind of never knew what that was because I think, you know, in this era, the 80s, Sean Penn's doing a lot of movies like this, like Bad Boys and stuff mm -hmm. that I've just like never seen, have not really been interested in diving into them. But I am very glad that we got to catch up with this one because I'm kind of right there with you in that this is a bit of a hidden gem. It's a James Foley directed, right? Yeah, James Foley's the director. Um, James Foley has the coolest and weirdest resume ever. Mm, like James, absolutely. James Foley, like, so for some people, James Foley is the guy who directed at close range, like maybe us and some of the people who are listening. We're like, oh, totally rad. He's mm -hmm. also the director of Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, a yes. masterpiece. Uh, something, Absolutely. Something that you have done many a monologue on. And then I think I even did it on this podcast, like <laughs> Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross monologue. <laughs> did. And then it's such a weird career. He does fear. He does mm -hmm. the corruptor. He's I remember like, confidence, right? Con yeah, confidence. Confidence. He does an episode of Hannibal. He's, he does um, a stack of later episodes of House of Cards, which is good, does an episode of Billions. Mm -hmm. And then he directs Fifty Shades Darker and Fifty oh my Shades God. Freed. I, had, I actually didn't know. Is that real? Real. 
He directed the sequels to Fifty Shades of Grey. Yes. Is that the not silence insane? is real that you just heard? <laughs> <laughs> this was not it's clearly insane, dude. I I went down the rabbit hole on the special features of this movie, especially um, an interview with director James Foley, because I was so mm. excited because. I just, he's not a name that I, you know, and sorry if there are huge folly, folly heads that are out there or whatever you guys call yourself. <laughs> Fo- um, but, but Folly artists. <laughs> <laughs> they wouldn't have never have allowed that much silence before you folly yeah. artists out there. Uh-huh. Um, Craft that out, put a little foot <laughs> step in there or something. <laughs> someone, someone knocking on a door. Someone open a door. Um, <laughs> but, but I didn't really know who he was. So I just watched this really cold and it was like, I don't know. It was like the perfect conditions. You just watch it. It's on. It opens with this absolutely unbelievably languid, mm. beautiful shot of Sean Penn driving and just making mm-hmm. his way, ebbing and flowing into this movie. There's this beautiful scene, like this sort of meet cute that happens at the beginning of the film. And it's just, I, there, I, for me, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, for me, there was just this absolutely incredible feeling, especially with uh, Mary Stuart Masterson's character, Terry, who's in the movie, there's just this amazing feeling of like young love and possibility and potential and small yeah. towns and everything felt so visceral and real. And I was just like, I was taken with this movie from like the opening two minutes. Wow. And so, so then diving through, I was like, man, who is this director? What other films of his have mm. I not seen? Cause I'm going to spend my 2021 <laughs> finding Whoa. every movie that this guy directed and like, and put a letterbox list together or something. Mm. And now I was just like, yeah, cool. Like, I'll be very selective uh, yep. at what those films are. Or maybe I'll just stick with Glenn, Gary, Glenn Ross and and at close range. But um, yeah, wild times. Yeah, I think that I, I'm, I really enjoyed this. And I think one thing that was kind of was a surprise to me was the Penn brothers both being in this. Yeah. And I love that they both dyed their hair to be blonde like Christopher Walken's. Yeah. And this would basically, because of that and because chris penn is alive not and very thin i had never registered them as brothers before in my head i knew that they were i don't think i'd ever seen them on screen together before and i'm a big chris penn guy like chris penn he's one of my favorite character actors ever and seeing him so young like this and seeing him and his brother like vibing together because i think they're very different actors I think that it made so much sense. I mean, this sounds so dumb. So much sense to cast them as brothers yeah. <laughs> because they are brothers, but they have such a different performance style that it, it com- made me, it just it, like has this energy of them being different people. It completely, together. it complete. What it shows you, I think, is that Chris Penn is like a force of nature personality. Mm. And you love yeah. him. He's like the guy, he's like the best guy you've worked. Like, he's like that random person you work with at work and you just love mm-hmm. him. Like you just want to be yeah. around them all the time. And what was so cool here is like really self-serious Sean Penn at this stage of his career, who kind of had this like sort of scrunched up face or like total mm. stoner. It was like finding ways of actually making him act 
organically. Yeah. You know, like wow. when there was that chemistry, you can't fake it with someone who you have chemistry with. Like there's no fake chemistry. Mm. It's all real. So yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. It's such a, it's such a good little thing. And yeah, this movie's dark as hell. Like we, in the intro, I said that, you know, you said you got animal kingdom vibes from it. Um, I, I think, I mean, that is a great entry point. If you like something like animal mm. kingdom um, and, and, and this is more overtly a based on a true story movie than animal yes. kingdom was inspired by events that happened in crime in melbourne but yeah i i was so into this and a huge deep cast david strathan's in there um mm. it's 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 yeah this is this is a little ripper and so it got a really interesting score as well but also watching it like the animal kingdom thing to me i'm like there's no way that david michaud did not see this movie he's seen it because i think it is such a tremendously huge influence on animal kingdom even with story points attitude the capturing of that small town yet not a small town vibe uh it, like you know i think that watching this i was the like hawaiian, so the hawaiian shirts oh the hawaiian shirts of course like all of that Big is time. so animal kingdom even the way the score is used and like uh diegetic music it feels very similar plot points with the girlfriend the mm -hmm. father uh, in the kind of Ben Mendelssohn role. It is so linked to that movie. And I adore Animal Kingdom. And Same. I think when I watch this movie again, which I know that I will, I'll really adore this film. Yeah, I I, I, I would strongly recommend it. Now, slip or no slip, my brother? Um, I, To me, that, co that cover is classic, that poster. And I kind of like this on the no slip on the inside that it kind of looks almost illustrated. So this is a bit of a tie for me. It's not tie. as decisive as the other ones. Now, while we wrap up the episode, guys, thank you so much for listening. Please make sure that you share, you rate, you review the show if you can. Um, we are not sure yet if you've seen the February batch titles and they are Breakdown with Kurt Russell. We've got the Korean war movie Bridges at Toko Ri. We've got the, this is the banger. This is the, the creme de la creme of the next batch the bad news bears the original math yeah. hour 76 bad news bears for the first time ever on blu-ray oh, incredible movie incredible movie i can't wait to talk about it um nuclear holocaust survival movie five and terrorist thriller black sunday it is a big batch mm -hmm. and it is a bad in the best possible way batch next uh one because of the bad news bears um Absolutely. but Alexi Toliopoulos, it's always a pleasure. We'll catch you on the next episode of Imprint Companion. Thank you for listening.